Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. Thank you for tuning in on the Scattered Abroad Network. I hope that you will go and uh, follow all of our various podcasts that we have to offer, as well as uh, leave ratings and reviews in the App Store. That would really, really help us out a lot. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. We are continuing our study of First Peter this week. We're going to look at part one. We're going to look at the first uh, 12 verses of chapter two. So part one of First Peter chapter two. We're going to look at the concept of Christian growth, which certainly begins when you first become a Christian, but it continues throughout your lifetime. So this is really the bread and butter of the Everyday Christian Podcast, if you will. Uh, that's kind of the goal of this podcast. It's it's helping everyday Christians hopefully grow uh, in our knowledge of, of God's will for our lives, in our living out our faith uh, as everyday Christians. We're going to certainly talk about Christian growth today, but we're also going to talk about our chief cornerstone, who of course is Jesus Christ. And we're going to notice that we, as followers of Christ, are a chosen generation, a uh, royal priesthood, etc., so let's look at verses 1 through 3, and we're going to notice the need for Christian growth in 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Well, there's a therefore, so what's it there for? Well, if you remember last week, the last several verses of chapter 1, we talked about purifying our souls in obeying the truth, being born again of the Word of God. We had a sobering reminder in verses 24 and 25 that just as the grass grows for a little while and then it fades away, well, our lives do the same thing. And uh, the Word of God, though, endures forever. And so the Word of the Gospel, long after we depart this life, will still be converting souls. And uh, that's a comforting thought. But uh, while we're here, we need to let the Word of God do its work uh, in our lives as well. Therefore, in light of all of this, we need to lay aside some things that are contrary to the Word and the will of God. Now, Peter does not give an all-inclusive list here, but he does highlight five things that Christians are to put off. First of all, he says, we need to put off all malice. When you think of the idea of malice, you need to think of the idea of evil motivations. This could be referring to evil, lustful desires, uh, concupiscence, as the Bible says, uh, just sinful desires of things that we're not supposed to be partaking of. Or it could refer to the idea of troublemaking, or it could be an idea of just depravity and wickedness, just completely given over to terrible, terrible things. These are all indicated uh, in the Greek here when we find all malice. We are to put these things up, we are, or put these things away, rather, uh, as we become Christians. But next on the list, we have the idea of all deceit. The King James Version says all guile, and the idea is that of uh, subtlety or trickery or, uh, again, deceit, as is translated in the New King James Version. And basically, of course, this is referring to dishonesty. Uh, dishonesty, uh, whether it be for selfish gain, 
trying to gain an advantage over somebody else by being dishonest or what have you. Uh, Certainly, God uh, hates dishonesty. He hates uh, speaking lies, we read in Proverbs chapter 6. Next on the list, we have hypocrisy. The Greek word here indicates the idea of a uh, play actor, a, a phony, if you will, or a fake, someone who wears a mask, someone who is two-faced. That is the idea of a hypocrite. Now, I want to say here briefly, um, sometimes the hypocrite label gets thrown around, I believe, uh, way too frequently. You sometimes hear people say, well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, there's a difference between somebody who is a Christian and is truly trying to do right and they occasionally stumble versus somebody who uh, knows better and just continues to willfully live in sin and and preach against that, but continues to willfully do it. Uh, There's a big difference between a person such as that who would rightly be characterized as a hypocrite and someone who is a Christian who's truly doing their best but occasionally stumbles. So just a side note there. But moving on, here in in, uh, verse 1, we have the the word envy. This is a type of jealousy that results in ill will toward others, uh, perhaps covetousness, being involved, uh, desiring something that others have and wishing ill upon them so that you can have it instead. Uh, That's the idea of envy. We are to put that away as Christians. And then also all evil speaking Uh, This would be the idea of gossip, backbiting, uh, defamation of others, etc. So the Bible says that these five things are not to characterize the life of a Christian. Question, are these five things pretty standard as far as things that we all tend to struggle with uh, at one time or another? I would say so. Uh, I think these are very common sins that are committed. Um, And, you know... The Bible teaches that all sins are egregious. All sins cause enmity between us and God. So we don't need to try to get into some sort of ranking system and say, well, at least I haven't murdered anybody, or at least I haven't stolen anything, or at least I haven't uh, committed adultery, etc. When we try to rank things and say, well, my little white lie is is not really that big of a deal. No, no it is a big deal. Uh, all sins are contrary to the the very nature of a holy God. And we as Christians have the responsibility to do our absolute best to eliminate those things from our lives. I know it's not easy. I struggle. We all struggle. But we should be uh, trying every day to eliminate these things from our lives. So that is verse number one. Uh, We eliminate these things, by the way, uh, through our study and meditation on the Word of God. That is the best way to do that. Verse number two, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So when you became a Christian, uh, you were a babe or a baby in Christ. And so you had a lot to learn, uh, a lot of sins to work on eliminating from your life, a lot of work that it takes to do that. If you think that you can grow apart from the word of God, well, to put it bluntly, you are sadly mistaken. Uh, We are sadly mistaken. I am sadly mistaken if I think that somehow I can grow as a Christian without reading the Word of God. We must study His Word. We must be diligent to study His Word and and show ourselves approved unto God. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. 
Read through Psalm 119 sometime when you get a chance. This is the longest chapter in the Bible, and incidentally, it is a chapter about the Bible. It is a chapter about the Word of God, and it certainly is a chapter that emphasizes growth uh, as we learn and apply uh, God's Word to our lives. So just a few excerpts from Psalm 119, verse number 6. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Right? Well, where do the commandments come from? From the Word of God. Verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Verse number 11. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 16. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse number 28. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Um, Christian, if you ever find yourself discouraged, be strengthened in the word. Verse 38. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Verse 41. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. That's just 10 verses from Psalm 119 that illustrate how important the word of God is. Read through the whole of Psalm 119 when you get a chance and reflect on the word of God in your life. Incidentally, talking about Psalm 119, did you know that David, uh, supposedly according to Jewish tradition, used Psalm 119 to teach Solomon his alphabet? That's right, his Hebrew alphabet. Uh, David taught Solomon, we believe, his Hebrew alphabet using Psalm 119 because the psalm is arranged in an acrostic fashion with each letter of the alphabet um, heading up a section of the psalm. And so not just uh, the alphabet as we usually think of it, but also Solomon's spiritual alphabet I was taught to him, if you will, for spiritual growth with Psalm 119. I find that uh, very, very interesting. Let's look at verse number three. Second Peter, or uh, First Peter rather, two verse three. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Uh, you have if you are a Christian, and we need to remember to live in appreciation for uh, that grace that we have and do our best to live right in God's sight. Again, Romans 6, verse 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Uh, verse 2, certainly not. God forbid. So uh, we need to respond to God's grace by conforming our lives to his pattern. Now, verses 4 through 8, we're going to get into the idea of living stones, uh, including certainly the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. Verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, this section begins a discussion of how Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm 118, verse number 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
also take a look at uh, Acts 4, verse 11. But this is a metaphor, of course. Jesus is not literally a stone, but he is, metaphorically speaking, um, the, the Spirit uh, inspiring uh, this kind of language, this metaphorical language, describing Christ as a stone. Not just any stone, but a stone in the house of God, which is the church of God, and Jesus being the chief stone in that house, which is the church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the fundamental part of the structure. Without that part, the structure would fall apart. Um, and so he's the cornerstone. He is the head of his church. He is uh, the load bearer, if you will. And, and I'm not uh, at all... Um, minded in this way. I, I'm not able to uh, talk much about this that is building projects. Uh, I just I haven't built hardly anything in my life, whether it's treehouse or, or anything like that. I'm just not a builder. That said, uh, I do understand the concept of load bearing. Uh, if you remove a, uh, a pier or a beam or what have you in a house that was load bearing, uh, you better have a jack or what have you holding that house up or you're going to tear the whole thing down because it's load-bearing. It's holding the house up. Well, Jesus bears the load. He is the cornerstone. He's holding the house up. Without him, the entire structure falls apart. And, of course, that makes perfect sense. Uh, without Jesus, there would be no hope. There would be no reason for anything that we do as Christians. Well, I'm reminded of Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, uh, you remember what Jesus said? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and I will give rest to your souls. Uh, Jesus is the load bearer. Aren't we thankful for that? Uh, I think about the loads of sin that bear on my mind, uh, whether it's things that I currently struggle with or whether it's things I've done in my past. And uh, I can't bear those loads by myself. But I'm so thankful that Jesus, uh, because I'm a Christian, he, he helps bear those loads. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, right after Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, Faith's Hall of Fame. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. He's the load-bearer. He is the one bearing the weight for us, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the cornerstone. Because of that, because of what he did for us, the house of God, the church, is able to stand. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, Jesus being the head of the church, goes right into this as well. Uh, also, uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 20, being uh, the Lord being the foundation as well. Um, so Jesus is a living stone in the, the kingdom, which is his church, which is the house of God, but Peter also says that we also are living stones that make up the church too. So we're not the chief stone, we're not the cornerstone, uh, but we are members of his church. 
We're individual living stones within the framework of the house of God. And so I want you to remember this, everyday Christian. You are important in the house of God. Now, when I say that word important, don't get the big head. In other words, I don't want you to think of that in the sense of haughtiness or arrogance or uh, look at me, look how important I am. No, that's not what I meant when I said that. What I mean is you are an important individual member of the body of Christ and we are supposed to be here for one another. What happens if you start removing stones from the building? Picture a stone building, a stone house, a stone structure. You've got all these individual stones. What happens if you start removing stones? Well, before long, uh, the building's in trouble, right? And so uh, we all are important in the sense that if you start removing people from your local body, your, your local uh, congregation, well, they're missed sorely, and it hurts people, and it discourages people, and it influences their uh, walk with Christ. Uh, I mean, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we need to consider one another to provoke one another unto love and good works, and then not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is. One of the things I, I like to say when I'm preaching through that passage is this. Um, one of the most inconsiderate things that you can do as a Christian, is to forsake the assembling because we're supposed to be encouraging one another, provoking one another into love and good works when we assemble with the saints. But when you don't do that, you're not considering others. And so a Christian may say, well, I'm struggling with such and such sin in my life. So, uh, you know what, I'm just going to give up and go home and I'm just going to leave. And um, I'm struggling with my faith. I, I'm just going to leave. And they leave and, and they go away and you know what you do when you do that? You're inconsiderate. You're selfish. Because there are other Christians who uh, benefit from your presence. There are other Christians who are encouraged when you're there. And when you're not there, they're discouraged. And so quite frankly, let me be blunt, but, but, but truthful. And also, I want to say this in love. Remember this, Christian. It's not all about you. It's not. Number one, it's all about Christ. And, and, and also... It's about all of us working together to glorify Christ. Ephesians 3, verse 21. Where does Christ receive his glory? In the church, right? And so let me encourage you, Christian. Whenever you get, I don't know, discouraged, depressed, uh, maybe you're struggling with sin, don't listen to the devil when he says, well, you know what? Since you're struggling with this, you might as well not even go. You might as well not even show up. Just throw in the towel. Just give up. Just go do whatever you want. No, that is the absolute worst thing you can do when you're struggling with something. Maybe what we ought to do, and I say maybe facetiously here, it is what we should do. Uh, maybe we should, James 5 verse uh, 16, we confess our faults one to another, pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Maybe that's what we should do instead of giving up and throwing in the towel. Maybe... Uh, James 5, verse 20, I believe it is. Uh, we should remember that he who converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover or hide a multitude of sins. Context, I mean, certainly, if we're talking about alien sinners who have never come to Christ, we save them in, in the sense of we take the gospel to them. Well, certainly, yeah, that's, that's great. But in the context, it's talking about people who uh, have fallen away and we need to go back and, and get them. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Galatians 6. 
Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christian, what if we're not bearing each other's burdens? What does that mean? Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If we're not bearing one another's burdens, and we're talking about sin burdens here, we're not... I mean, yeah, other burdens of life we need to try to help with too, but we're talking about sin burdens. We're talking about, hey, brother, I'm struggling with this. Hey, sister, I'm struggling with this. Can you please help me? Can you pray for me? If we're not doing that as the body of Christ, you know what we're not doing? We're not fulfilling the law of Christ. Okay, I have went way off the rails and off topic, uh, ranting on that, but those are some important things we need to remember. Let's get back to what we were talking about, and that is that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We are individual living stones also in the framework of the house of God. John 14, verse 6, Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man comes to the Father but by Jesus. Uh, That's exclusive. Plain and simple, that's exclusive. It's, It's Jesus. It's not Muhammad. It's not uh, Joseph Smith, it's not Buddha, it's not all these other guys that are false messiahs or what, whatever you want to call them. No, it's Jesus. Acts 4, verse 12, there's salvation in no other name given among men, uh, no other name given among men by which we must be saved, but through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. He is the chief cornerstone, and we've got to preach him. Well, we're going to notice here in a minute that we as as uh, the children of God are chosen by God. But I want you to notice also in verse 5 that we are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, uh, through his way. I want you to think back to the Old Testament for a moment. Think of the Levitical priesthood and how they came to God on behalf of the people to make sacrifices uh, for sin uh, certainly the temp- the temporary animal sacrifices that rolled sins forward, if you will, uh, to the full atonement of the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the capital L Lamb of God. Today, we don't have a Levitical priesthood. Uh, in fact, Jesus Christ is our high priest now, and he was of the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood, Hebrews 7, verse 14. So we're not under the Levitical priesthood. We're under the priesthood of Christ as our high priest. And Christians are individual priests underneath him. Uh, Again, we are uh, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There, the latter part of verse 5 here in 1 Peter 2. Jesus is our high priest, Christians are individual priests, and we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Well, that that means we better know what the word says regarding the sacrifices that we're supposed to give, whether we're talking about our worship or we're talking about our lives uh, in sacrifice to Christ as well. Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, we are to pick up our cross daily and and follow him, uh, the Bible teaches as well. Look at verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. That's quoting from Isaiah 28, verse number 16. Look at verses 7 and 8. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, 
The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Notice this, highlight it, put a star by it, underline it, whatever you got to do. Notice this. Notice how Peter says that belief and disobedience are polar opposites. Did you notice that? Therefore, to you who believe, he, that is Jesus, is precious. But to those who are disobedient, he's the stone that the builders rejected. Did you see that being disobedient is equivalent to the exact opposite of believing? So what does that say about belief then? Well, it says that if you believe, you will not disobey, but you will obey, right? And so belief and obedience go hand in hand like they always do throughout the pages of Scripture. This idea that you can have faith and somehow uh, faith alone can save you without subsequent obedience That is as false as false can be, and yet we have so many people still teaching that, certainly uh, the devil working right alongside them, uh, teaching those lies. Uh, True belief always follows through with obedience. We see it in places like Hebrews 10 verse 39. uh, talks about faith that leads to the saving of the soul. What kind of faith is that? Hebrews chapter 11, faith that acts, faith that... Uh, In faith's hall of fame, people, by faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Moses did this, etc., etc. That is the faith that saves. Uh, We see it in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah. Uh, Genesis 6, 22. Everything that God commanded him, so did he. Uh, We see it with Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 6. He believed God and it was imputed unto him as righteousness. Well, what did he do? What proved Abraham's faith? Well, he went up onto the mountains of Moriah and He had the sword ready, and he was about to sacrifice his son because uh, that's what God told him to do. Of course, it was just a test. And it was a type, really, of of God offering his son. Um, But anyways, Abraham believed. And so it was counted unto him as righteousness. What kind of belief? Well, a belief that was willing to do what what God told him to do. Well, that is the section on uh, the chief cornerstone and, and us being living stones as well. Let's get into our final section for today, and that is verses 9 through 12, which is, we are a chosen generation. Uh, I forgot to read uh, the end of verse 8, by the way. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. By the way, that is not saying that they're forced to disobey. This is not Calvinism, but it's the idea that when they obey, they are put into the camp, if you will, of the wicked, who uh, are appointed unto spiritual death. All right, verses 9 through 12, a chosen generation. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a chosen generation, uh, not chosen in a Calvinistic sense, not according to unconditional election or limited atonement or irresistible grace, three of the five planks of Calvinism. One of these days I need to have uh, a series on Calvinism on the podcast. Totally false, completely errant. Uh, But anyways, uh, that's not what Peter means when he talks about a chosen generation. He's talking about uh, those who obey God were placed in this group of the saved. That's uh, what he's talking about. 
Uh, and we can choose whether we want to be a part of God's chosen people or not. A royal priesthood, we already talked about that. We're priests. We're able to come to God in prayer and offer acceptable sacrifices to him in our worship and in our manner of life. Uh, a holy nation. We have the national identity of spiritual Israel, and we are to be holy just as God is holy. We talked about that back in chapter 1 of our study of First Peter. Uh, his own special people, same concept as his chosen holy nation, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christians are no longer to walk in darkness, in sin. We are to walk in the light, as God is in the light, 1 John 1, verse 7. Um, The Bible says that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son, uh, Colossians 1 and verse 13. Look at verse 10 here. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obeyed, Uh, obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know what that reminds me of? Hosea 1, verses 9 and 10, and Hosea 2, 23. Uh, God, through the prophet Hosea, tells him, you're not my people. You don't have mercy. But upon repentance, they can be his people again, and they can have his mercy again. So that is just a beautiful hearkening back to the book of Hosea there, Uh, from Peter here in verse 10. A parallel passage is found in Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Finally, verses 11 and 12, and we'll finish up for this week. We've already gone uh, way longer than most of our episodes go, but uh, we're almost done. So thank you for hanging in there with me. But, uh, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We have the responsibility to stay away from things that war against our souls. We need to think of it uh, this way and remind ourselves how serious this is. It truly is a war. Ephesians chapter 6. We are in a spiritual war. Sinful things war against our souls. He finishes up in verse 12, basically saying that the pagans or the Gentiles, evidently they're trying to speak evil against Christians, accusing them of things, but Christians should live the kinds of lives that prove those accusations to be false. Rather, they should see Christians conducting good works, which ultimately gives all praise and all glory to God in heaven. So that is our study of the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. Lord willing, we will get into part 2 of this chapter next week on the Everyday Christian Podcast. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, 
And please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.